0: Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse and other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. When I say that this is a podcast about all things equine, I should add, with a little dog training thrown in, because this week we're joined by Hannah Branigan. Many of you will already be familiar with Hannah's work. She's a member of the Clicker Expo faculty, and she has a very popular podcast, Drinking from the Toilet. If you love training, you should definitely subscribe to it. Hannah is both a professional dog trainer and a horse owner, so it's easy to make the connections back and forth between training dogs and training horses. Her obsession with good balance rivals my own. So when the two of us get together, we always have a great time talking about training. In fact, once we get going, we tend to forget about time. And that was very much the case the day we recorded our conversation for this podcast. We ended up talking for over two hours and we covered so many different topics. We decided that it was too much for one podcast. So we've split it into three much more digestible units. In part one, we talked about balance as it relates to both horses and dogs. Last week, we talked about Hannah's new puppy and the learning foundation she's creating with him to prepare him for his future jobs. One of those jobs is to be a great companion in her home, and the other job is to be a high-performance competitor. At the end of the podcast, we were talking about reinforcement variety. Dominique and I both asked the question, how do we expand our variety of reinforcers for our horses? With dogs, it's so easy. You have both a wide variety of food treats that they enjoy, plus there are all the toys and other play activities. What can we learn from the dogs? What can we take away from the dog training? that will help our horses? That was our question. We'll pick up again in the middle of that conversation as we start this podcast. With the dogs, there's this rich variety of reinforcers that you can use. And we hear over and over again how important reinforcement variety can be in the training. So you also have horses. What can we do so it's not just Yes, I'm feeding you. It may be a carrot or maybe hey, stretch your pellet, but how do we expand our reinforcers?
1: I really think it, it's actually kind of funny because as 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 you were talking I was at first I was I was a little bit floored because I was thinking of my two clicker trained horses they're both stupid about retrieving like a sponge or a cone, so I can totally toss a, a sponge across the paddock and they get real excited about going to get it because it was their first clicker clicker-trained behavior super useful right um. And I don't even remember if we, if I heard somebody talking about it on, you know, one of the early clicker email lists or whatever, I was like, I'm going to teach my horse to retrieve a cone. I don't know why. Because it's fun. That's why. Because why not? Right, right. That was, was, yeah. So that was one of my, my older boy, his, one of his very first clicker trained behaviors and his very early, I've had him since he was a baby and his, when I got him, I was in, I, I think of it as my natural horsemanship phase. So pretty pretty gentle but still not not the same thing as clicker training so we still we had, a, we had a decent relationship to begin with but then clicker training him to retrieve that cone became a pretty powerful reinforcement sort of contingency right like putting him into the paddock where we were working on this stupid cone retrieve his ears would perk up and he would get a little prancy and as soon as I dropped that cone on the ground he couldn't get out of his own way to pick, to pick it up and would throw it at me um, we, we refined that a little bit, but frankly, not a lot, because it was early clicker training behaviors. You get as many behaviors as possible without any kind of control or stimulus control when you're first learning.
2: N- that, that's it, right. Until you,
1: until you read the book, and then you and then you right. train the six foundation <laughs> behaviors. But yeah, so we had retrieving the cone. We had you dropping his head, and he'd drop his head and leave like nose prints in the dust. And those behaviors, I think, one, because they had that, that first learned aspect to them, and also just at this point gosh, 20 years of reinforcement history that mm-hmm. if we're doing something and, and I will I actually use the cone now because he's now older and we're having to do more health related stuff to, he's also a thoroughbred so he you know he bra- finds new ways to break himself on a regular basis. So it's having to, oh, I guess I need to train for, for this now. I don't always realize that I'm digging a hole with something that I'm trying to work on. And when I get stuck, one of the things that we'll do, I always have cones stuck on the, just the tops of the fence posts. And I'll realize that I am going down a dead end path, and I will grab his cone and I'll drop it on the ground, and he'll pick it up and he gets happy right away. Wow. Because um, yeah. <laughs> it's finally I'm asking him for something new that he understands, right? Right. right. And, and yeah. the, the,
0: um, that uh, emotional state has been well reinforced and connected to that behavior
1: heavily reinforced. I mean, it's really a trick. When I taught it, I had no, I had no expectation or emotional attachment to it the way that I did trying to start under saddle stuff. I had no training baggage that I had to un- undo. Right. With that. Clean slate. And, flight. um, so it's really very pure, like yep. it is the most unpoisoned behavior that that we have. Very
0: clean slate, but it also yeah. it also yeah. one of the comments that I would jump in with with that is this is why in part I think those six foundation lessons are so important that that cluster is yes. important because and and fetching is actually part of targeting. So fetching is just mm-hmm. it's an extension of targeting. So it sits within that complex, but the the what I've observed is those very first behaviors that you teach a horse, they become their default behaviors, that when they're not sure of something or when they want to get you to play the clicker game, or it, that, that is the behavior that they will go back to. And so yes. if you had thought, oh, I'll teach my horse Spanish walk first, and, and that's the behavior that they go back to, or oh, let me teach my horse to stand on his hind end, hind legs like high ho silver, and that's the behavior he goes back to. You may not be quite so happy.
1: I yes, head lowering, backing up. Those are definitely much more yes. practical. Yes, yes, <laughs>
0: if if when your horse is unsure, he says oh, let me put my my nose in the ground. It's like that is great because I would much rather have a horse who's uncertain. Dropping his his nose to the ground, then running over the top of me, or some of the other alternatives, and yes. and do you find do you find the same thing with the dogs that that those early behaviors that you teach really become those part of their base behaviors really?
1: Yes, definitely, and I use it very much the same way. I use stationing a lot, which is one of the reasons why I love to teach it in these uh, as part of that core behavioral foundation. There is because I. I will, use my, I will use station or even you know, get in your crate, which is just another form of stationing. Right. Whenever I get stuck or if things are going off the rails or we're getting too, ex- too aroused or or they're flat or like there's something is wrong with this session, I need a new starting point. Sending them back to their station, okay, I can reinforce that. And then that both gives me a new starting point if I just needed, if I already know what I need to do. I just did something wrong. Like, oh, your mechanics were crap there. We need to, let's try that again, but actually do what you're supposed to. or. I need it to buy myself some time oh gosh that was not what I expected to happen I need a different training plan here but I need to get out of this one go to your place okay mama's thinking okay let's try it this way and then and then I I have a new starting point I've had a moment to to reevaluate and come up with a new plan and I'm not trying to to train in that moment because they're perfectly happy to wait on that station While I have that moment, (laughs) so then Um, and then we could could go back to it. So then,
0: if we were parsing this out, and this is where it gets head spinning, because it often is, oh, how you're, what, what perspective are you looking at it from? And then I, at the end of the day, I always say, go to people for opinions and horses or dogs for answers. So if your animal has just done something where things are not going quite the way you want it. And you send them to the station, and the station is a place where they are have received a lot of reinforcement. So going to the station becomes a good thing. So what they may be starting to do is look for any opportunity. What is what is it that I need to do to get mom to send me to the station because I like going to the stations because it's a guaranteed reinforcer. So are you then reinforcing? the unwanted behavior clump that you just had, is that one way of looking at it? Mm-hmm. Or is, is another way of looking at it saying, much better that when things are falling apart, that that is a path and a well-trod path to going back to your station. And once you're on your station, I can then regroup and develop a clean loop. What is, what is the loop that I, that I start to establish from that stationing position so that i don't end up in the trap of oh look my horse my dog just wandered off to the other end of the workspace and i called him back to station because that isn't what i want and he's wandering off again blast it oh right i'm reinforcing
1: leave aren't i Mm -hmm. so how do we parse all of that I i think it's inevitably both we are of course in that moment that single repetition is going to be reinforced by giving this heavily reinforced cue if i've done a good job with station training my cue to go to station should really be in some ways on some levels functioning as a condition reinforcer yes but the first step to getting out of a hole is to stop digging so yes Yes. (laughs) yes so trying to wait somehow for this if you continue to do what i've been doing and miraculously some better stopping point will uh will somehow show up i've tried that yes the definition
0: of insanity is is repeating the same what what is
1: the the, repeating the same
0: thing and expecting a different result
1: yes exactly so so i i believe very strongly that when i discover that a training session is going off the rails that it is a good investment to go ahead and knowingly potentially reinforce whatever had just happened a single time because just in matching law reinforcing that shit show one time, oops, sorry, um, one time is going to be better than continuing it for another 10 minutes and probably just degrading. So I'm going to get out of there. And then the burden is yeah. on me as the trainer to come up with a different setup that will, is much more likely to lead to the behavior that I want to happen. And that may mean restructuring my training session entirely. It may mean making a small change to how I'm delivering the reinforcement or what my criteria are, um, or some you know, other small structural change. But either way, I'm gonna, I'm gonna own that the mistakes that were just happening were mine, not my animals. I'm gonna give my animal an out that at the very least doesn't continue, continue to dig the hole And then I'm going to come back with a better strategy.
0: Which really loops us right back around to the whole task analysis and the breaking down of what we're teaching into small components and looking at what comes before the thing that comes before the thing that comes before, so that I can stop digging that hole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely.
2: And it brings us, as always, to the creation of clean loops. Yes, yes we're always
0: back to clean loops always it seems always so i have a completely different question which is maybe a little odd so i know when we're working with the horses that we can definitely help horses move better in their bodies and that related to that the horses seem to stay sounder longer which is sits at the core of what is important to me because the horses are family and i want them to to be with me in comfortable bodies for as long as possible. And absolutely everything that you've said today would suggest that the animals in your life are also family. They're not just, well, this is the sport horse that I have this season, but next year I'll have a different horse, for sure. sure. And that you're doing things with your dogs that have contributed to great movement. So rugby, for example, is moving in a way that... It makes him look like this beautifully moving little sports dog instead of his choppy little original stride that he had. So what could we if we were if we were to look at what we're doing for the horses, what of these exercises should we be extracting and using on ourselves? Because wouldn't it be great to be as sound in our bodies as your dogs are at because a 15 year old dog, is is a is a senior citizen oh yes
1: yeah. yeah yes she's like a hundred
0: yeah <laughs> so so wouldn't it be great to reach a hundred and be as comfortable in your body as your dog is at her age in her body so what should we be extracting I can see this whole new style of <laughs> but no but what what could we extract from what we're learning from the teaching of the horses and the dogs that? if we were sensible, which are probably not, that would be useful to use for ourselves. So how do you get rugby to move with such fluid yes. movement?
1: I think, um, I think paying attention to technique first, over speed. So that means the, what? The, the, the how. The how. You move your body in the smaller, it's clean loops, you know, finding, finding clean loops. One of the things that I've done with him is actually change use props essentially change the environment to make the 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 task that i want to happen the movement that i want to happen easiest for the weakest muscles so basically catering to the weakest link in his physiological chain so that sometimes means putting like putting his rear legs up slightly on on a cushion or a folded towel so that there is literally less weight less gravitational pull that the muscles that i want to target are having to work against that makes them it makes it easier for them to fire cuz we will tend we tend to shut off muscles that we don't think can do the job and we find other compensations to accomplish it. I'm not sure if that sentence makes no, sense. No, that, that makes total um, sense. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so finding a way to get the clean loop by making it as easy as, to, by making it possible for the weakest member of that team to participate. And some you know, some using a, using a slope or an incline is often helpful. It just, you know, adjusting his weight shift in different ways make those things helpful. From a from a human physical therapy standpoint, I think we do kind of the same things. Can you do like the most simple you know, straight leg lift of one centimeter with your pelvis level and your shoulder level without clenching up your face right. and using your arms to make it happen? Can you do that cleanly? before you try to start getting up and out of chairs. It certainly is related to the Feldenkrais training.
0: And you yes. know where the more of your whole body that you are using,
1: the less any one part of your body has to work. Right. 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 Can can I find a neutral pelvis while just sitting or even laying down, which is about as minimal effort from the muscles as possible. Just, just can, and then can I relax? And then can I refine it? And I do a lot of similar stuff with the dogs like that. Can you stand on all four legs? Maybe using targets, maybe using prop or something. And then can I place a treat just a few inches off to one side? And then can you refine that balance? And can I place a treat a few inches off to the other side? And can you refine that balance? And they're small movements, but I want to make sure we can fluently and masterfully find those small movements before I start asking for him to maintain a neutral pelvis over a jump or at a trot. So I saw a
2: fabulous video on your website, Wonder Mm Pups Training, or maybe there's no S there, which illustrates two things so well. First of all, doing it in small, you know, doing the small things before you do the bigger things and training for clean loops. So you have this video or this a series of video where you're trying to show the dog to step on these. I don't know what you call them the, in English. The pods? For, yeah, they're like two oh, pods yes, and yeah. there's he's supposed to, to, to put each feet on each of the mm-hmm. pods. And there's a lot of emotion going on. He's very excited. And you're showing that also your, your clicks are slightly late because everything is happening mm-hmm. so fast. And so you videotape all this and you watch it at slow motion. And you make sure that your click happens just before what you want to happen happen. And all, all of a sudden, through the videos, we see the difference with what a clean yes. loop is. For me, this video was one of the best illustrations of what a clean loop is. Um, I thought it really, really explained it very well. I would definitely recommend for people to go see this. It's in an article, I think, mm-hmm. on your website.
1: Yep. It's a, the article is about training I for duration, re- because in order to get duration on a behavior, ah. you have to have a clean loop.
2: Right, right, right. But it's a fabulous illustration of what it means we'll to be. We'll definitely
1: a put loop. the link to that
0: up in the, uh, the yeah. Aqueocity uh, website so that people can find it.
2: But it's, it's also a great way to start balance and both the emotional balance, because in the beginning of this loop, there is no emotional balance. And at the end, the dog is well balanced on both pods. And there's a lot of emotional balance in the loop. Yes, well.
1: he, he has taught me a lot about emotional balance. That was his gift um, to me <laughs> as, as a trainer. But yeah. Okay. Well, because he's, he's very enthusiastic very he is uh, is aroused when he is asleep. He never closes his mouth. Um, (laughs) he pants, he just, he's just always excited and trying to get him to stand the, the, these paw pods are, they're, they're little inflatable targets. So they're, they're, they're squishy. And so it's sort of like an air bed, you know, if you ever tried to stand on an air mattress or, or an inner tube or or a, a raft or something, when your weight shifts, the one side, the air squirts the other side. And so it, it, Catapults you off. So to actually stand still, you really have to actively manage your weight distribution. What I ended up accidentally capturing with just you know one of those clicks where you just you see, you see it happening and then you just want to you just give up and go get fish. I shift. I accidentally clicked as he planted one foot and then shifted his weight to adjust the other foot. And so the behavior that I got was, I'm going to pump my feet like I'm working an organ or something. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which, is not, which is the complete opposite of what I actually wanted, which was that duration. Yeah, uh, just stand there and and you know be balanced under this more challenging situation, and so I had to really look back. What when do I need to click? I actually need to click before the second foot even landed, because as soon as that second foot landed, mm-hmm. he was already shifting weight. So I had to click. Way, way way earlier than I would have expected,
0: yeah you know, that's always the when you use the slow motion and it's such a powerful tool because it does help to train your eye to see those little tiny weight shifts and the the whole what comes before the thing that comes before the thing that you want to reinforce and that's how that's how you sharpen your training because it is yes you know if if you're clicking on what
1: you want to reinforce, you're late yes, yeah. You have to learn to predict when what you want to reinforce is about to happen. Yes, that's right.
0: That's that classic story of what Ken Ramirez talks tells us about teaching the beluga whales to blow bubble rings and, that, yes. and how he had to slow the video that they had of the belugas down to, into slow motion to see what was occurring just before the, the whales blew the bubble ring. And that's what they reinforced. It's really neat. That's, that's task, task analysis. analysis. That's, that's mm-hmm. exactly right. So if we were wondering what task analysis is, that's a great example of it. So, uh, yeah, it's, been, it's great. So I, I, I feel as though we're, we're, we're looping back wonderfully from topic to topic. We just keep looping back to the beginning point, which means that we're discovering good things along the way. So because things should loop back. As as you're exploring an idea, they should keep bringing you back to core concepts and core ideas. And we've been talking for quite a while, and I feel as though we haven't even begun to scratch the surface. But we also probably should draw the conversation to a close because you have dogs and you have small children, and I suspect they're all beginning to want your attention. This has been really fun. So will you come back and, and join us again for another Conversation absolutely. Excellent. I really enjoyed it. Excellent. It'll be my pleasure. Excellent. Excellent. Well then,
2: and Anna, can you tell people where they can find you? We'll put some resources links. But perhaps if they want to learn more about you and what you're doing, yeah. So
1: my podcast is um, where I am spending the most of my time right now. Uh, when I'm not training my dogs, is drinking from the toilet, which is. Available on iTunes and Stitcher and Google and even Alexa. So all, all of the normal podcasty places. And then um, you can also find me on Facebook. Um, I'm also on Instagram. And and I even I even have a little guilty Twitter habit. So everybody's welcome to tweet me any questions that they have. I'd be happy to answer them. Um, and then my business website where you'll find links for the podcast and all of those things is wonderpupstraining.com. Excellent,
0: excellent. And we'll put those links up on the equiocity.com website as well so that people can easily find you. So it's been a joy and we will definitely do this again. And, and for, for now, we'll just say until next time, I'm sure we're all going to have fun with our training. Bye. <laughs> awesome, thank you. Right, bye. bye.
2: Thanks, Anna. Today, I'm thrilled to announce that The registrations for our upcoming webinar with Dr. Susan Friedman are now open. This webinar will be held on September 29th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Dr. Susan Friedman is definitely one of my heroes. I will always remember when I first read, a few years ago, her article titled What's Wrong With This Picture? Efficiency Is Not Enough. At the time, I was still very confused by what I saw in traditional animal training. Some of those trainers were getting pretty amazing results, but something did not feel right to me. I was not comfortable with the teaching process and I was just starting to make the link between the teaching and the undesirable secondary effects it created. So, My intuition was that something was not quite right, but there were lots of people around me who dismissed my concerns and made me feel like perhaps I was just too soft-hearted. But then Susan arrived. Professor in the Psychology Department at Utah University. Susan is an amazing teacher, speaker, and writer. She made me realize that Not only were all of my questions and concerns legitimate, but they had been researched for decades by the scientific community. And science was telling us that positive reinforcement training is a serious, proven alternative and certainly the most humane and safe way to teach our companion animals. At the end of the article, Is Efficiency Enough?, Susan wrote, Without this ethical standard, interventions are likely to be selected on the basis of convenience, familiarity, speed or blind authority and may inadvertently produce the detrimental side effects of punishment and learned helplessness in our animals. Susan was a key person who helped me confirm to myself that I was definitely on the right track. I became very passionate about educating myself about positive reinforcement training so that I could improve the welfare of the animals under my care. She helped me move forward along the path of aligning my practice with my values. If you want to read this article, you can go to Susan's website www.behaviorworks.org. Her website is a great resource. Susan says that when opinions differ and emotions are strong and the stakes are high, science should hold a higher value than conventional wisdom. And you all know how much conventional wisdom keeps popping up in the horse world. What Susan does every time is make the science behind learning clear and easy to understand. She makes science exciting and accessible. And the more knowledgeable you are about the science behind learning, the more successful you will be when you are actually putting all this into practice during your training sessions. So if you want to join us for this webinar, registrations are now open go to our website, equiosity.com. See you next week.